Hello and welcome back to the Optimizing Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Marty Kendall. On this show, we take an engineering approach and speak to the experts about the insights into weight loss, fasting and nutrition, as well as real life people about their journey of nutritional optimization. All right. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Optimizing Nutrition Podcast. We um, yeah, started chatting a couple of hours ago. You popped up in our... Uh, data-driven fasting finale with a whole bunch of really cool reflections about the whole process and i thought hey it'd be fun to get him on to have a had a bit of a chat so you've got an amazing diverse background of interesting training and a whole lot of bunch bunch of things you know you get in a lift what do you tell people you do yeah so uh it's a question i try not to ask people um because <laughs> then they ask you back well, yeah, I th- that might be part of it. And also, I find, just to be realistic, I think you answer that question a little bit based on the audience, right? Like, if I'm if I'm around a bunch of real estate people, I probably focus on the fact that I do a bunch of real estate. Um, but obviously, that's one thing I do is real estate. Then I have uh, the e-commerce business, Big Chill. I have my blog, Upwarding, which talks about there's a wealth piece and then a health piece. And then I got my family. Um, and then honestly, I usually just talk about whatever is exciting me the most. So recently people say, <laughs> what's exciting you? I tell them about data-driven fasting. Because so, <laughs> yeah. it's your new favorite thing. Huh? Cool. Thanks, my new man. favorite thing. Yeah, exactly. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So you had a, a background in Harvard and Stanford and worked at a bunch of investment firms, including Bridgewater with Ray Dalio. Did you actually work with Ray Dalio himself? Did you get close yeah. to him? Oh, well, so... You know, I wasn't there that long, but at the time I went, it was a small enough place and just the way Ray manages, uh, you know, I did have quite a bit of intersection with him more than I would have thought given, you know, that he's obviously now this, you know, multi-billionaire. And I think, unfortunately, people who probably join now, there's a little bit of an echo, I don't know if you can hear that, but I think people who join now are probably uh, subject to less, uh, less of his influence, you know, as he's moved out. But I definitely was there in the prime of his of his, you know, thought process. And we all joined and got a little, you know, probably the preview of the principles book that he wrote. And so, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a real iconoclast and I love people like that because they really make you think, you know? So I yeah, I really about. enjoyed the principles book and just his way of thinking and being completely data driven. And that's taken him to be the biggest Bridgewater is the biggest hedge fund in the world with what is it, $25 yeah. billion or something crazy? Oh, I think it's, it's even more than that now. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was over $100 billion now. I haven't looked recently, but he wow. he's really tracked a lot of assets and it was completely, exactly, completely data driven. You know, yeah. I, there's a quote I love and I met another, another famous investor said to me once, he said, in God we trust, all others must bring data. you know it's something that stuck with me because um you know the numbers can't lie and so you really need to understand the numbers behind what you're doing especially when they confuse you you know and they surprise you so that's another thing i learned is like oh this is when stuff isn't making sense or seems a little bit odd that's when your ears should perk up and really dig into it so i'm sort of known for that even in my business now you know i have obviously a smaller business it's not a hundred billion dollar business but (laughs) Our e-commerce company, you know, I'm always the guy who's digging in the data and saying, do you know what happens when, you know, we change a dealer here? And so just, I love Excel. I once calculated I'd spent more time in Excel than with my family. It's probably. (laughs) 
I think I'm guilty of the same crime yeah. <laughs> for the last few years. Yeah. It's crazy. We should circle back to that, but in the health space, you've um, yeah. you've got a health blog and you're a mm. bit of a health nut, a Silicon Valley yeah. health nerd. And um, on the on the finale call, you said, uh, "I know data driven fasting seems to currently attract a whole bunch of." middle-aged ladies who are on Facebook who are wanting to lose some weight and manage menopause and, uh, you know, reverse their diabetes. But, you know, why you said, why isn't this more accessible to um, to people in the Silicon Valley health hacker, biohacker nerd space? So, yeah, they, um, what, what are your observations in terms of what that scene is into and what they need and you know how do they balance data and too much data and confirmation confirmation bias and the like i'd just right. like you to wrap on that and your thoughts there sure so out here in the bay area you know everyone the beautiful thing is everyone loves a new thing right everyone loves a new trend everyone loves a new technology because everyone's looking for what's the next thing that's going to make my life better right mm -hmm. are all of us agree that our lives are better when we can pick up an iPhone and call a kid instead mm -hmm. of, you know, growing up when you, you knew it was a dollar a minute on this day and 75 cents. I mean, technology makes things better, right? Like, let's yeah. agree to that. And so there's just this relentless pursuit of think of making things better. Um, and with that as a backdrop, I think, you know, data driven fasting fits in because in a way it's very new, mm. but I think, I don't know if I've said this to you directly, but you know, as we've had exchanges, um, this is, I think, a way of balancing a lot of that data. You know, mm. a lot of numbers nerds out here, as you would expect, and a lot of people who want the next best thing. But it's a way of balancing that that newness with something that's very ancient, which mm. is being in touch with your hunger, mm. right? Like in a way, all this technology has distanced us from our instincts, mm. right? And I remember I was, you know, months ago, I was struggling with weight gain, and you know, sort of a process that ended up leading me to data driven fasting. And my son just said, Dad, why don't you just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full? And in a way, that's where we've circled back, right? Like we're yeah. almost we're almost back to that. And so, um, you know, that's my thoughts in terms. Of, yeah. So Silicon Valley numbers, new thing tech. And in a way, this is new, but it is along the trends of look fasting. I think a lot of people are finding it works for them. Right. Mm. Um, lowering maybe carbohydrate. And there's some extreme things of that, you know, managing your blood sugar. I see a lot of mm. that trends here, people wearing CGMs who aren't diabetic. I'm one of them who wore one. Mm. Um, and I think this is a way to rationalize all that. Um, mm. And you and I had talked about data and, you know, this joke of, uh, in God we trust, all others must bring data. But the problem a little bit with biohacking and with being a numbers person is that you can overwhelm yourself with data. Mm. You data take the place of hunger. And you mm. can start looking at a million things. And um, you and I had a related talk earlier today, but I think it's important to really distill down to what the most important thing is. Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's like one of the things I told somebody once, I said, look, if you only want to have one rule to lose weight, just go to bed a little bit hungry. Mm. But I think now my one rule after data-driven fasting is probably only eat when you're hungry when you're mm. truly physiologically hungry, not when you walk by something you want to eat. But, you know, I think if everyone followed that rule, it would be a nice basic rule and it would cut out a lot of complication and maybe leave a lot of the analysis to something else. So that's a long answer. To yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole area. And I was, uh, I was all in on the 
Dave Asprey biohacker nerd and I had my heart rate variability monitor and tracking my heart rate every morning and, yeah. um, you know, in with the bulletproof coffee and the, uh, you know, tracking weight every day and everything I could stack on. I wanted more numbers, but as I've tried to inflict that people on people with uh, the masterclass and data-driven fasting and a bunch of things, I just realized that most people, even though they think they want more biometric data, they, they fry their brain. And, and what we're trying to do is use the minimum effective dose of data to, to retrain your habits and reconnect yourself with your physiological hunger. So to say, I think I'm hungry, let's validate that with my fuel gauge, which is my blood sugar, to understand if I really need to eat. So I think that's the really profound thing. That's I really pricked my ears up when you were chatting in the live earlier today, just to say this is a real spiritual experience that I, it's, you think it's all about data, but it's really about understanding your physiological true hunger. So I thought that was just a really cool observation that it, it brings data through your conscious brain to retrain your subconscious reptilian instinct, your amygdala, and then that has a flow and affect your emotions and it brings it all together mm. through the conscious brain that we think controls everything, but really our data doesn't control everything. Our conscious brain isn't really in control of what we eat, and what we eat as much as we try to kid ourselves. So, yeah, I, I just thought you really grasped that and, and um, yeah. articulated it really well before too. Yeah, it's... um. You know, one thing I think about a lot is that, you know, particularly a lot of successful people who struggle with their weight, um, it can be a real source of psychic pain, mm. right? The fact, especially if you're someone who's successful at a lot of things, the problem is the approach that got you here, right? That sort of like, I'm going to push harder, you know, I'm going to fast for 30 hours, now 40, yeah. like, like this sort of more is better, right? Yep. Which gets yep. Which gets people successful. And that's, you know, what helps them in their careers and like yep. we all think very linearly, right? Like if I just work harder, if I just work out more, if I just fast a little longer, if I just, and, and the thing is, it's like the solution turns out to be somewhat nonlinear. Mm. Um, and it, there's also, uh, so because, because we've had these failures, right? Like, so successful people, otherwise successful people who put on weight and they're like, I, I can't get it off. And it's very frustrating and it can kind of be a deep thing that they carry. Mm. Um, and so, there is an emotional piece to this, right? Like there is a piece where it's like, how do you, how do you get calm about this and not make it the next thing to achieve and not obsessed mm. about it? I mean, I'm obsessed about this in a philosophical way, mm. but I would say I'm less obsessed with, you know, the number on the scale. Like, I don't even think I've been putting it into the app. I went to the app, I was like, oh, I haven't put in my weight. And you know, my weight no. is down because I lost six pounds or seven pounds on this challenge, but that's it's been, but that's a byproduct of, of what's been a really cool experience in terms of how I'm talking to myself, right? Mm. Like not beating myself up. Uh, I was surprised how much I was sort of really being hard on myself, mm. right? Like, oh, you know, I put on another couple of pounds, like, ah, what am I doing wrong or whatever? And mm. then just like, I thought- I'm a failure, I need to go harder, I need to try yeah, harder. Yeah, like, like now I'm gonna to university to study all night, but yeah, yeah, it um, doesn't work with hunger. No, it doesn't. And I, and I think that's, it's sort of what's, it's what's cool about it, right? Like, mm. like let's let's take this as a new puzzle with a new set of dimensions and be like, and I have all kinds of like dietary restrictions and stuff. You know, mm. I sort of alluded to some of these, right? Um, and so for me, I was just like, hey, how do I figure out this puzzle? 
how do I figure out a puzzle of like, you know, still having dinner with my family at night, even though they eat later than I would like? And how do mm -hmm. I figure out this puzzle of when I eat in the morning and what to eat, food that I can enjoy, not being too hungry, and and kind of listening into that. And also just data can be calming, right? Data can overwhelm mm -hmm. you. But if like a number doesn't lie, and if you just say, mm -hmm. hey, look, I'm only going to eat below 85. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a non-negotiable, right? And like, you can't, you're not going to talk yourself out of it. You're just like, hey, and it's not that hard. Yeah. Right? Like, for me to get to 85, it's like not a big deal. Like, ah, yeah. whatever. And whatever someone's trigger number is, I think that's, that's helpful. Yeah. And you don't have to starve yourself for days on end. You just no. wait a little bit longer and you go, okay, I'm not really hungry. I don't really need to eat now. But when you do, it's like, yeah, I, I am actually hungry. That hunger signal is real. And before too long, you'd retrain that hunger and you can trust your hunger signals and, and reacquaint yourself with your actual physical signals of hunger. So, yeah, everything's become so externalized and we're, we're so not in touch with our body through the use of technology and data to an extent. And you've got some stuff on your blog about digital detox and dopamine fasting and the like. And uh, the, the irony there was you're in Silicon Valley where all the tech nerds are overdriving our dopamine yeah. signals. So we just completely, you know, lose touch with our physical reality. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So what are people in, you know, Silicon Valley chasing at the moment? What, what do they, what do they want more of and why? And, you know, what's really the solution? Do you think a bit of a philosophical open-ended right. question, but yeah. So, um, that, that I can answer that in so many ways. Well, let me answer it in terms of health. I mean, I feel like what, what I see a lot of here, right? Everyone longevity is a big issue, right? Mm. And so, um, the thing people are talking about now is, not just lifespan, not that you live to 90, but when you're 85, can you roll on the ground and, you know, pick up your grandkids, right? Mm. It's sort of the idea of health span mm. um, and what gets us there. And I think it's getting us into discussions of, you know, hey, do you, do you treat diabetes when you get to diabetes or do you treat mm. it beforehand? Mm. Um, and the health trends that I see, the ones that are related to data-driven fasting, they're the ones you probably see elsewhere. I mean, keto is mm. still very big, obviously. Mm. I have major issues with keto, some which you touch on and some which mm. you know, are intuitive ones. But mm. um, and also just the fact that I don't know a single person who didn't go off keto and gain about 20 pounds when they did. Right. So it doesn't seem to work. Um, it's <laughs> Not long term that. anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, so keto is really big and then intermittent fasting is big. But um, I think a lot of people get frustrated by intermittent fasting for a bunch of reasons. Right. Because. Mm it's, it's, you were, you were purposely ignoring, um, signals. And then the other thing, your hunger signals in some cases, and then the other thing that happens is this idea of, let me just keep fasting longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. And, you know, you can tell by the comments in the Facebook group that that doesn't seem to work. Right. <laughs> like that, that's sort of a path to failure because at some point it runs out. So, yeah. Yeah, from a health perspective, to summarize, keto, intermittent fasting, um, and then you know the general theme of why are people biohacking? I would just say it's it's health span, um, mm. which correlates to everything: stress reduction, and you know everyone here is meditating and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So we're all trying to digital detox and dopamine detox after getting everybody else hooked on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter yeah. and everything else, which is a yeah. crazy world. 
it's yeah. additive too. You know, the one thing that, um, you know, I do talk, you mentioned this dopamine fasting that I mentioned in my blog, mm. you know, it does seem like a lot of us are answering in an additive form. Like, mm. what can I add to my day to be healthier? Right. Mm. And so I would say, as you know, I'm a fan of like, what can I subtract? Like, how do I yeah. subtract complexity? What's the one thing, you know, but yeah. it's like, I have this, like this device does triggers this vagus nerve. And then I have another device triggers vagus nerve. This like, it, it, you know, you can, it's death by addition because you can't, you can't be training your health 18 hours a day either. So. And now I'm all stressed out about my aura ring and my, binaural beats and my cgm yeah. all at once and how do i manage them and oh well i've got to charge them all and so, oh well yeah, yeah. yeah and i forgot my aura rings and now i don't know my heart rate and i don't know how long i slept and you know strava how am i going to survive if i don't know my heart rate yeah there's this app called strava and someone yep. made a funny joke they're like if uh if you go on a run and you don't you know that whole thing if a tree falls in the forest and nobody you know did it happen so it's like if you go on a run you didn't record it on strava did you actually run? happen yeah, yeah exactly because everyone's so it. into recording their their runs. Um, so great. Yeah. So how did you find you used the CGM with data-driven fasting? What are the pros and cons of yeah. CGMs? I mean, definitely we can use CGMs with data-driven fasting, but some people get overwhelmed and confused with too much data and go, okay, I sneezed. I, you know, I got a bit stressed. I had two drops of stevia and my blood sugar went up. Is that going to make me fat? And they just have all these questions that sometimes are a little bit, too much and too overwhelming so the simple glucometer can be ideal in a lot of ways but you know it still works if you've got a cgm and can afford that yeah so um again i don't know if i mentioned this to you everyone who i'm recommending to get a cgm i'm saying to them don't use it for two weeks mm. like actually do the process of pricking your finger for two weeks and um the reason is what you want to do. So I always, when I, when I prick and I put it on the thing right before I say, what do I think my blood glucose mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to do is train myself mm -hmm. to be predictive, right? Mm -hmm. It's like being able to walk outside and tell the temperature. Like if you just did that every day for a year, you'd probably get pretty good at it. And so mm -hmm. what I've explained to my friends who, you know, will be joining data driven. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, is I said, you know, I know you just got this, whatever, you know, freestyle or Dexcom, but, but do the work of a couple of weeks of actually pricking your finger, yep. looking, you know, predicting and doing that, because I think you don't get that intuition. If you have a CGM, you just, mm. you have so much data that you can look at it and you're going to know like, Hey, I did some calculations. Like I know where I'm going to be in a few hours mm. with pretty good accuracy. If I'm not eating, right. I lose about three to four points of blood sugar now. Like and, and it's almost like you're all, you're doing everything relative, whereas you want to know that absolute number. So, um, I think just a glucometer is a pretty good way of doing it. And this last week, that's all I did. Cause you know, you, you do the Dexcom 10 days at a time. Um, and I've enjoyed not having to obsess about the data mm. the plus side though, is I think the, um, you know, particularly if you want to answer a specific question, right? Like, let's say you want to answer a question, like, how do I react to a high carb, pro high, high carb, high protein mm. fat or high fat, high protein, low carb. Like if you want to compare those two mm. and your reaction to them, seeing that curve and where it peaks and when it peaks, I think can be very instructive. And yep. so instead of having to prick your finger 10 times over the course of three hours to get that data, I think having that can be helpful. Um, mm. It also, it also helped me because 
you know, in data-driven fasting, we're, we're generally testing around meals and food. A big part of what I do is exercise. And so understanding mm-hmm. how exercise influenced it, I wouldn't have done that during exercise. It was very helpful yep. to see the curves on exercise and what exercise can do. And more importantly, what it can't do. Like you can't have mm-hmm. 10 pancakes and burn it off. Like there's just math, right? And it's well, nice to see that. What did you learn about fueling for your swims and your biking from from the data, from watching your blood sugars? Yeah. Um, about fueling or about what it did to my blood sugar? Oh, I mean, both. I mean, uh, how do you fuel for a ride, a long swim yeah. um, to make sure you get enough glucose on board or maybe? Yeah. I'm So I've been surprised how little pre-feeding I need to do. Um, and I don't know if that's because I've typically trained in the morning when I haven't mm-hmm. eaten in a while. But for me, you know, having a little bit of food before training, and I, I mean a little bit, like mm-hmm. maybe... 15 grams of carbs is probably all it takes for me to not feel crappy um, Mm. during a hard workout. So the first thing I learned is, is that you really don't need that much. Mm. I was kind of surprised how little it was. That was a personal experience. Um, And then the other is there is a wild difference between aerobic and anaerobic activity. Okay. So aerobic very clearly, and especially cold water swimming, which I, I mentioned in the in the Facebook group, cold water swimming in particular, or walking, walking quickly. I mean, not, you know, yep. moseying, but reasonably quick walk. That aerobic exercise, which you would do with, let's say 180 beats per minute, minus your age, that target level heart rate is extremely effective for bringing down your blood sugar, mm. like extremely effective. Mm. Um, but, you know, if you go and do an intense, there's a class here called F45 or Orange Theory, yep. but really intense workouts my blood sugar actually went up and stayed up for mm. quite a while. Um, mm. Those workouts have their place, but they don't serve to bring down your blood sugar yeah. for a bunch of really good, you know, biological reasons, right? Like yeah. there are a lot of good reasons why your body does that. But I would just say knowing that aerobic point, yeah. right? Now we're all tracking our data, which for me, it's 135 beats per minute. And when I go over that, it's just wow. a different workout, right? Don't, don't, try to do a workout where you're bouncing around between those. Cause you're neither fish nor fowl. Like either choose yeah. to do, you know, today when I ran, I did my once a week, really intense run, but yesterday on the Peloton, I was 130 beats per minute, just the entire time. Right. So, uh, it's just, it's goals, right? Like what are your goals? And, you know, mm. I have a diverse array of workouts. They have different effects and I have learned what those are also yeah. that you cannot out exercise bad food. I knew that already, but it just shows in the data. I mean, mm. there was one time where, I mean, I, I should show you the roller coaster, right? It's like I was tracking it with a CGM. I had the pancakes. My blood sugar went up. I did a, I did a bit of a workout, like a small workout. It came down, kept going up, did, you know, and I have like these three bumps because it's just like me trying to fight it and then eventually just being like, you know, I'm just, I need to be dead for three hours. Take the pain at some point. You, you can't eat out a bad, out eat a bad diet. Yeah, it's it's fascinating the whole you know training, staying out of the gray zone of training, like you said, in that middle zone between aerobic and anaerobic, and it like it's really good to build muscles and you know be really intense, and but that is going to boost your blood sugar. But that light activity where you can still talk, you can still breathe, is really important and useful. And I think there's sort of a 
like I talk about fat and carbs at the same time as this amazing combination that makes you overeat. And I think there's sort of a similar sort of thing in a way that when you're in that gray zone in the middle that you end up having this amazing appetite, your body drop, you burns fat and carbs, sort of tries to burn both at the same time. It doesn't quite work for our purposes. I don't know. I haven't quite worked that out in my head, but I think there's something similar there. Everything I see is like mixing saturated fat and unsaturated fat is the, the lowest satiety outcome, mixing fat and carbs together at the same time. And I think you're either walking gently and, and having a light activity workout or you're just blasting it. You don't just want to be in the middle in that you know, gray zone of, of no Which man's land. actually uncomfortable too, that zone. Like mm -hmm. it's, it actually, you don't, you sort of don't feel that good, I've found, for mm -hmm. whatever reason, if, you, if you're in touch with, I mean, Wherever mm -hmm. that's when I need more electrolytes and stuff. I think, I mean, if I were to say one thing data teaches you around your health is things aren't linear, right? Mm -hmm. Like like you talk about protein, right? Mm -hmm. Like protein percentage, carb percentages, you know, um, exercise intensities. We all want to think more is better because mm -hmm. in most of our life, things are linear, right? Like if mm -hmm. you, if you're earning X dollars an hour and you work more hours, you make more money. But it's kind of like as you increase the intensity of your exercise, it doesn't necessarily get better. And actually, I have a blog article coming out about this. You know, the guy who invented high intensity training, or I shouldn't say invented, who's sort of known for it, mm. is a guy named Casey Viator. Mm. He died at like 62 of a heart attack. And there's also a lot of data that shows that really, like people who do a ton of endurance training are, they actually, their death rates increase because it's damaging yeah. their heart. And so, I think we we all all of us have to constantly be getting comfortable with nonlinearity of outcome, mm. whether that's you know exercise or you know diet, especially in the health thing. Like the extremes, there's just some we just have to think about it. It's it can be curved, it can be linear, but that's why data is so important um, mm. and understanding the data. And again, without getting overwhelmed by it, right? That's yeah, and, al and also periodization where you go for a while, you're trying to build fitness so you're trying to lose weight one thing at a time you got one goal at a time then you take a break mm -hmm. take a take a rest catch up on yourself and then go again um you back to the bridgewater ray dalio days yeah. i i love the principles book and he he talks about um you know making every decision off data and and uh, idea meritocracy and i thought that sounds like utopia why doesn't the whole world like work like that that Ray himself doesn't have complete authoritarian power. Everybody's got mm -hmm. an idea, and based on the data and based on you know votes based on the data, they can make a decision together. And based on that data-driven decision making, they've become the biggest hedge fund in the world with a hundred million dollars, hundred billion dollars. Sorry, under mm -hmm. under management. Um, and you've talked about confirmation bias and how our whole world is so we're in this twitter group or this facebook group and we all see the world the same way because we all get the same crazy social media feed that confirms our bias and mm -hmm. the same thing happens in nutrition as you know this group of people see the world in a completely polar opposite way to the other group of people and they both work if they stick at that extremes you've got the carnivores who are completely convinced of their approach and then you've got the mm. plant-based based vegans who also look reasonably healthy at the other extreme and yeah you know, how can we use data to 
unwind our world and understand it better and take out the confirmation bias when there's so much confirmation bias in our social media feed and our entire everything's optimized for our unique bubble that we live in that we feel comfortable in and we never get challenged yeah so i think about this a lot because i think it's if you combine confirmation bias with the fact that we we do a lot of things and explain things to ourselves in a way that makes us feel good rather than what's truthful Hmm. right so between ego and confirmation bias, I believe that covers most of what's wrong with all in the world, including myself, right? Like what's funny is I know all these things and I read about all these things, but I, I suffer from that. Like there's no, knowing it is not a solution. Like it's mm. actually very difficult. And so mm. I struggle with the question, right? And, um, you know, I think a little bit of it is, is always seeking to disprove yourself, right? Mm. Like, so... Um, in the U.S., we have at one extreme, we have Fox News, which is a very, you know, right wing mm. uh, media organization. At the other extreme, we have, let's say, an MSNBC. I mean, they're more extreme than that, but in the major networks. Right. Mm. And so I just have on my dial in my car, I have both of those stations. Right. And to the extent I care about an issue, I make sure I've listened to both sides. Mm. Right. Um, that's a small thing, but I actually find it kind of helpful. Um, Mm. and so I think rather than reading the things that are on the same blogs we're on, like, just seek to disprove whatever it is you believe. Like if you're into keto, you know, read like big fat keto lies, maybe, you know what I mean? Which is, which is your book. Like maybe that's, maybe you'll, maybe you'll buy into some of it. Maybe you won't buy into other pieces of it, but at least hear that and look at the data they're presenting because one Mm. of the data, right. Is I like to say, um, if you torture data long enough, it'll give you the answer you want. Yeah. And so like, so let's use the data, but how do we be impartial about it? And it's like, these are hard questions because I Mm. think it's very unnatural, right? Like we Mm. want part of a tribe. Like we want to, it's, it feels way better to listen to things that agree with us. Like, Mm. doesn't that feel great? Like I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. That feels good. Um, So I don't have an answer. I have little things that I've incorporated in my day, Mm. but um or like in my parenting, right? Like one of the things people always, one of the things my kids will always do like, hey, what, what, what will you do next time? I said, what's your next time statement, right? Like this mm. happened, we had a bad outcome. What will you do differently next time? And of course, the very first thing is, well, next time he won't take my toy, right? Like, <laughs> no, what will you do differently next time? And so, so I think like when we reflect on something bad happening, the only person we can control is ourselves, right? Mm. And so there's a little bit, that's one thing I think Ray Dalio, that was sort of the key insight of his is that like going off data is uncomfortable because you're constantly having to admit you're wrong. Mm. And so one thing I tell my kids is say, how often is dad wrong? All day, every day, right? Like, and by the way, it's okay to be wrong. And I have to give Silicon Valley credit for accepting failure. Like this is a place mm. where failing at four startups doesn't hurt your resume. Right. Mm. And I think there's a real value to that. Um, so if I were to add one other nugget, it would be be okay being wrong and be okay mm. to change your mind. Like you can believe something different today than you did yesterday. Mm. That is not threatening. Like I think Keynes said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? Right? Like, yeah, sometimes you're going to be wrong. Um, and so I think the beauty of, you know, we talked about closing the circle, 
you know, how does how does data driven fasting fit into Silicon Valley is, look, there are some new ideas here and there are some controversial ideas. Right. And I think that if people can sort of table some of this keto mindset, which is very dominant here. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe at least be open to it. Like you don't have to look, it may not work for you. Right. Like I still mm -hmm. think a lot of nutrition is individualized and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. it's harder if you're vegan and whatever, like, you know, there are little details, but at least expose yourself to it. Like at least read big fat keto lies and see what you think, yeah. you know, see what you think, then talk to me. <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll tell I, you I think it's all about, I'm sorry. And I was just going to say like, and also ask your intuition, right? Like, so does it really seem to make sense to you that bacon would be healthy and blueberries would not? Like, I don't know, maybe doesn't like, maybe. So it's like, like at least ask that question. Like maybe yeah. you'll conclude there, maybe you'll conclude blueberries are bad, but you might not. Yeah. Uh, I love how you've sort of brought the data and the psychology and the self-reflection and yeah, into sort of a nearly a, a spiritual realm of reflecting on your own, hunger and your own journey and yeah the um i was gonna say you know a lot of my well, talking before the call about i dabbled in trading nothing like bridgewater capital but all the things i learned from back testing and analyzing stock market data i've tried to apply pretty much those same philosophy and principles of what i learned back then in an engineering sense on nutrition and, and insulin and diabetes and um, yeah, it's completely fascinating to try and bring it back and see what are the major factors that make carnival work or vegan work or plant-based work or keto work. What are the what's the fundamental principles behind all those sort of things? So yeah, the, the um, yeah, the whole you were talking before about the plant-based drive in parallel to the the keto drive, and yeah, it's interesting mm. all the different factions of diets and. Mm even people who are very data-driven and, and highly educated, they nearly apply godlike deities to diets that aren't deities, they're diets. Diet is religion. Diet yeah, is diet has become the new religion. It really is. Like, like we're not allowed to talk about religion anymore and people really aren't that religious anymore. But like yeah. your diet philosophy, it's like a very defining thing because it can describe yeah. like, if you're a vegan, like that, a lot comes with that, right? If you're a carnivore, like a lot is, a lot is said by it. And it's almost like, mm -hmm. oh, we, I mean, I live in a very health conscious neighborhood, right? Like, mm -hmm. and it's just something people talk about. I mean, um, by the way, being an engineer is one of the best things you can do to avoid confirmation bias, by the way. Like, I love working with engineers because they, they do start with data, right? Like, and that's, that's one of your strengths, I think is allow yourself to be surprised by what you see, mm. right? Like be willing to be surprised. Like I would say it's kind of surprising that your 11% protein rule, like that was mm. kind of surprising to me. Yeah. I don't know, but it, but then I tried it and I'm like, does it work? And yeah, I mean, I was probably doing 7% and now I do yeah. 11 and I feel better. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty good. I love right? that you like, found an article must have been three years ago that I started diving into all that data yeah. to see protein and satiety and front-loading protein. It's like, oh, that's really interesting. I write about it yeah. and Chris yeah. finds it and ends up on <laughs> on the blog. Um, so in terms of doing one thing at a time, like our mm -hmm. world is so, that's one thing I've been battling with is 
there's so many things you can do and so many things you can do with your time and so many apps and so many things on social media to keep up with and so many obligations. You just get to the point of overwhelm and do nothing well and you don't feel satisfied with that. I mean, you've really backed out of that from being Harvard, Stanford, Bridgewater, hedge fund. Um, what have you learned about just doing one thing well at a time? Yeah. It's probably another three-hour chat. Yeah. So I would say the main thing I've learned is to ask myself what I am excited about. Okay. Um, because on any given day, there are a million things I could do. Mm. Uh, and then as soon as I find myself using the word should, mm. that's always a little trigger like, oh, I should call that broker back about mm. that deal. Like that word should is a big flag mm. for me. It kind of, it always perks my ears, you know? So um, how do I sort through it? I, I definitely ask myself what I'm excited about. Mm. Another factor is, you know, what what actually will have a lot of impact right so i'm really focused on like what is the there's a guy named uh k he writes he writes a blog called rad reads i really like him i'm actually very friendly with him surfer you know lovely guy but he talks about um this idea of like 10x you mm -hmm. know like or or, or and then ten thousand dollar an hour work mm -hmm. like where's that ten thousand dollar an hour work and how do you expand that part of your pie like so checking email may not be that, but what mm. is that like one point of leverage? And so I find myself often asking like, because I, in a way as an entrepreneur, I eat what I kill, right? Like it's, mm. I'm not really paid. I have in the thousands of hours per year, 95% of them aren't that productive, but 5% mm. of them are really productive. And so I'm constantly trying to grow what that is without really knowing because some of it is so experimental. So what am I excited mm. about? And then what do I believe will have the most kind of leverage in terms of the things that I'm skilled at and that will get the highest outcome, right? So it might be a redesign of a product. It could, it could be anything. Mm. Um, but I'll tell you, if I'm not excited about it, that probably gets assigned to somebody else. Yeah. Um, but if I'm excited about it and it's a great point of leverage, um, then I do that. But uh, yeah, I kind of wing it most days. I don't <laughs> have any, you know, I've, it's, and I've just admit, again, some of you admit to yourself, like I, I sort of, wish that I could be like a classic CEO of a company or something, but it's just not who I am. You know, I'm not someone who wants to manage the day to day. I, you know, I don't do well with people issues. Like these are, you got to just admit these things to yourself and then structure your life accordingly. Yeah, um, do what you do well. And flexibility. Yeah. Try to find the intersection of what you do well. You have a unique skill and there's a need for in the world and just niche down on that and try to, clean out everything else that's not yeah. useful and beneficial and not going to help you get towards that one end goal that you want. It's, I find if you're doing things you love that you're good at mm. and you have passion for, and that connect to your bigger purpose, like it kind of works out. Mm. I don't know how it works <laughs> out, but I just find it does. Yeah. <laughs> My experience. No, you know, totally. I'm sure there are examples where it doesn't. You know, but it's just like in general, if you're kind of, you know, and then you're surrounding yourself with people who are, you know, living how you want to live, it just mm. seems, to, seems to play out. The right people come along at the right time to complete it. The universe needs you halfway. Yeah. Yeah. This so, has been a really fun chat. Anything else you want to thoughts to leave people with? 
Oh, geez, well, we had such a long list of things. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Did we miss anything on our? I'm sure we missed. I think we hit things. most of the cool ones. Yeah. Other than the um, vegan diet and you had a had oh yeah no, for, just, um, um, you know I think just there is a there is some there is a trend towards veganism that I think has a lot of benefit to it, hmm. um, and I think there can be a bit of a struggle at getting enough protein. Mm. while being a vegan. Um, I don't really have a great reflection on it, except to say there, there are, there's a lot more protein. If you net out the fiber, there's a lot more protein mm. in a lot of plant-based foods than you think. But realistically, if you want to be a vegan and, you know, have the optimum protein percentage for feeling full, uh, you probably need to do a little bit of supplementation with vegan protein powder or something like that. But I think it's possible. It's just a bit of a challenge um, to to eat that high protein. So not not much to add there, except you know I think it's it's a it's a great thing for society if we can get there. Um, I just think you know there there are other trade offs we have to be thinking about in terms of how we're doing and are we now eating you know something that is nominally vegan, but really is a bunch of plant pieces pulled apart and reformulated in a lab and cooked and they come mm. out looking vegan, but they're really not. And they're doing all kinds of bad things to you and it's really alien food. And so, um, I just think, you know, it's, again, it's, it's hard for me to be black and white about it. Like I, mm. I try to, as I mentioned to you, you know, I try to just add those higher protein vegetable mm. items in, um, but I still do eat meat, you know, and it, mm. meat has a place. And what I do, but try not to make it all about me. Just that's my personal preference. I mean, there are mm. carnivore diet people who love it. Um, for me, I'm just trying to back off the amount of meat. And I think it's doable, but it's again, it's one of these restrictions I'm working with and just trying yeah. to figure out how to balance things correctly. But look, I, I've, I thank you for the program, Marty. As yeah. I've told you, um, I think uh, you don't you don't toot your own horn enough. So I'll keep trying to find ways to do it for you. But um, you know, there's a reason this went from, and I don't know the numbers, I'm going to make them up, but order of magnitude, right? Like there's a reason why this has gone from 12 people to 1,200 people. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to be at 12,000 pretty soon here. Uh, and you're going to start breaking Facebook because there is a magic to this. And sometimes the craziest things, the things that sound the craziest are actually the most sensible. And mm -hmm. as crazy as it sounds to prick your finger, right, to figure out whether you're hungry, it actually is the one way you can maybe finally solve this problem. And I think mm. that's what I see is that the hope in the Facebook group of people saying like, you know what, I, this, I got it now. I got yeah. it now. And it's not, this isn't a diet. It's like, it feels sustainable. And I think mm. there's a lot of validity to that. So you're bringing a lot to the world. And I think that this will, uh, the, the rocket has just left, left uh, Earth's orbit and we're about to hit peak velocity. So I'm happy to be part of the journey with you. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thank you yeah. so much for your time and have a great night with your family. Over Thank there. you. I will. Yeah, we're going to go Cheers, watch my All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.